Well, greetings to uh, all Jewish History Soundbites listeners. We're on uh, another successful trip so far with a wonderful group. We started off yesterday in Vienna, exploring Jewish history through ancient the ancient Jewish community of Vienna right up until modern times. The um, also the uh, destruction of the uh, Vienna Jewish community. We even stopped at the palace of the Habsburgs, which had been part of the Austro-Hungarian, the capital of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and later from that very porch, Adolf Hitler had given a speeches to crowds, and we symbolically came back there with a group of uh, as a, as Jews, and uh, to be in that very same historic spot, uh, remembering what happened there, we went around to the old Jewish quarter saw some of the old shuls and landmarks. Today we moved over to Bratislava in Slovakia, the ancient Preshberg, where we spend some time by the Chassam Seifer and hear the story of the Jews of Central Europe in modern times, facing the challenges of modern times and the Chassam Seifer's leadership and unique way of dealing with those challenges and his influence, which is felt today. We're continuing on now to Budapest in Hungary, where we're going to see the beautiful city of Hungary, some of the most beautiful shuls full of ancient Jewish history, full of the story of the Jewish people in, in modern times, of the great Hungarian Jewish community, of both the neolog, the progressive Jewish community, as well as the staunch Orthodox Jewish community, and of course, the beautiful Danube River, which flows through Budapest, and where we have the Holocaust Shoe Memorial, where many Hungarian Jews in the last weeks of the war were tragically murdered on their own soil. From there, we we'll continue to other parts of Hungary to explore the story of Hungarian Hasidus. This is really an exciting trip, and this, like many others, seems to be a great journey through our glorious past. Hope to be together with all of you someday in these tours. And until then, regards from Central Europe. A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheimbare Brüder in America. Verkauften Schabes at the Skizar. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in heaven. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, it is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome everyone to Jewish History Soundbites. This is Yehuda Geberer with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites. And today we'll talk a little bit about the circle around Rav Kook, 
Rav Cook uh, came to Yerushalayim after World War One, became the Rav in Yerushalayim, and slowly but surely, even before that, when he was still the Rav in Yafo, a it became a chevra, a kind of a chabura, maybe a group together of an incredibly talented individuals who together were building Tyra in Eretz Yisrael and they renewed and being rebuilt Eretz Yisrael through the rabbinate, yeshivas, teaching, the svarim that they printed, and it was uh, around around the personality and influence and leadership of Rav Cook, and these were each one really is a a uh, quite a personality in itself. So, talk about a few of them. There, are, some of them are too big and too famous to be able to uh, put on put on uh, just another list. So we'll have to devote uh, them to another time. People like Rabbi Levin, the famous tzaddik of Yerushalayim, who had learned in Valajin in 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 Lita in Lithuania before he came to Eretz Yisrael. And was very close with Rav Kook. People like Reb Tzvi Pesach Frank, who was the Rav of Yerushalayim, and also part of that uh, group, part of that Chabura of Rav Kook, and actually started the Rabbanut. The founder of the Rabbanut, the Rabbanut Harashit, the chief rabbinate, was Reb Tzvi Pesach Frank, and he he was the one who was very influential in getting um, Rav Kook to be appointed to the chief rabbinate. Now, what the common denominator of, of most or all of the people in this group were was that they were great rabbis who originated from Lithuania, even the ones who were born in Yerushalayim, um, who we'll talk about it in a couple of minutes. They came from a very Litvisha background, like Rav Cook himself, and that's why they, it's one of the reasons why they were all part of the this group. There was a certain commonality of background, of culture, of scholarship of where they had learned. Many of them had a some some sort of connection to the Valozhin Yeshiva, and therefore they, they came from similar uh, backgrounds. So, uh, interestingly enough, um, um, they all at some point or another, or most of them at some point or another, had some sort of connection to the Yeshiva that Rav Kook founded, which eventually was called Yeshivas Merkaz Harav, and not all of them, though, and uh, and they were either friends of Rav Kook, students of Rav Kook, Rebbeim at the yeshiva under the tutelage of him. In other words, not all of them had the same uh, uh, relationship. They were all part of part of that group, though. One of those who never came, um, but this will bring me into the topic, who did not come to America Zarav, who stayed in America, who was offered a position there, was, uh, interestingly enough, Rabbi Yaakov Yitzchak Ruderman, one great uh, Talmud of the Alter Slabatka and founder of the Yeshiva of Neri Yisrael. Before he founded Neri Yisrael, he was looking for a position somewhere in a Yeshiva or something, and he was offered a position in the newly founded Merkaz Harav, and he went to ask advice of a great rabbi who was living in America at the time, Rabbi Meir Barilan, the youngest son of the Nitziv, who was... Rav Meir Berlin, who switched his uh, name to Bar Ilan, and Rav Ruderman asked him, should he take the position in Merkaz Harav? And Rav Meir Bar Ilan's uh, answer to him was, don't bother taking it because there's already a Kayan Gadol and a Nazir there, and there won't be room for you. And he didn't take it. He stayed in America. He found the Neri Stroll. So I guess uh, the... 
founding of an Israel, we uh, owe an indirect thanks to Mayor Barilan. Oh well, and uh, and and what he was referring to was the Kayan Gadol was obviously Rav Cook himself, and the Nazir is the first person I want to talk about is um, a fascinating individual named Rav David Kayan, who was never called Rav David Kayan. He was always known as the Rav HaNazir. And he is was a modern-day Nazir. He took on the customs uh, of Nazirus, of, of all the halachic implications of that. He would not drink wine, and he let his hair grow. And not only that, um, he took on extra stuff. By the way, uh, someone once asked me, did he also never um, become Tomei? Did he never go into a, a cemetery and become Tomei to dead people? I said, well, his name was Reb David Koyen, and therefore that was something that he already did beforehand as well as a Koyen. Nothing to do with his Nazirus. But he even went beyond that. He became essentially a vegan. He did not, uh, not only did he not eat meat, he would not wear leather. He did not wear anything made from animals. Um, he he did all kinds of extreme customs like that, uh, mystical, related to mystical ideas and what we would call precious, you know, complete, or not complete, but as much as possible, you know, limiting his his connection with uh, materialistic uh, pursuits. He he even had long silences. He would not, you know, Tainus Debor's long silences where he would not uh, speak at all anything of any idle chatter, any any uh, mundane talk on especially Shabbosim or during El, which was, again, customs of earlier um, mystics or people working on Musr concepts, uh, not, not speaking the entire El during Rosh Hashanah, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Shalom Shvadron, actually, the Maggad of Yishalayim, also had this custom and others. So he, he, would, um, he was a Nazir and even, like I said, beyond the Nazir. But he actually came from the elite and the aristocratic, litvish, rabbinical uh, uh, background. His grandfather, Rav Zechariah Mendel Katz, was the Rav in Raden when the Chavetz Chaim was there. And his uncle continued as the Rav when the Chavetz Chaim was there. He actually, the, the Rav HaNazir knew the Chavetz Chaim and learned in Raden in his grandfather's home for a period of time and, and knew the Chavetz Chaim. He also studied in Valazhin. Um, he had five uncles. All of them were rabbis around Lita. One of them actually was the father of, or one of them, one of his great uncles. Either way, one of his cousins was the famous Dove Katz, who was a Talmud in Slabatka and later wrote the multi-volume, uh, very, very valuable uh, series on the Musser movement. He also was a uh, Dayan in the Rabbanut here in Eretz Yisrael. So this is a cousin of the Rav Hanazir. Um, from the same rabbinical family. Now, he studies in the great yeshivas, like I said, in Valajan, in Raden, other places. And he, when he was in Raden, interestingly enough, he was roommates together with, this, this is in an interview with his, with the Ravanazir's son, Rabshar Yashav Kayan, who was the Ravan Haifa for quite a bit of time, for about 36 years. So he said in a in a speech that he discussed his father's life, 
he said that his roommates in Radin were the Panavizhar, the later Panavizharov, Rebase of Shloima Kahanaman, and Rebsachia Menkin, who was the father of Rameshitsvinaria. So you have here a, a future amazing room of future leadership in the Jewish people in one place in Radin. An amazing uh uh, uh, pool of talent uh, right there. And he moves on, he's exploring. Uh, the Rav Nazir at this point in his life is is exploring. He moves on from the Litvashi Yeshivas to study secular or general subjects. He eventually comes to the uh, the Jewish Institute of Academic Studies in St. Petersburg that Baron David Ginsburg ran, which is Quite an interesting story. The whole uh, intellectual Jewish atmosphere of St. Petersburg in the pre-World War One era, Shimon Dubnov and Baron Ginsburg and other other um, Jewish intellectuals. Actually, Ginsburg was the one who funded it. I don't know if he was much of an intellectual, but um, but uh, it was a quite an interesting atmosphere. And from there, the Rav Nazir goes to study in German universities until World War One. In World War during World War One, he's expelled from Germany as a enemy alien. He's a Russian citizen, and Germany's now at war with Russia during World War One. So he moves to the University of Basel in Switzerland. At that time, Rav Cook, who had come to uh, try to influence Agudas Yisrael in in uh, the founding of Agudas Yisrael, the 19, was supposed to be in 1914, the founding Knesset was supposed to be and was pushed off because of World War One. Rav Cook had come from Eretz Yisrael to try to influence them to be less antagonistic to the Zionist movement, and Rav Cook gets stuck in Switzerland for the early part of the war. He moves on to England later, but uh, but uh, the Rav Hanazir he gets exposed to Rav Cook at this time, and that changes his life. He finds his Rebbe, he finds his life calling. He moves to Eretz Yisrael, and he eventually becomes a Rebbe in Merkazarav, not only that, but he's one of the main editors of Rav Cook's writings, along with another prominent member of Rav Cook's circle, Rav Cook's son, Rav Tzvi Yehuda Cook, um, who was not just his son, he was also one of his closest students, Talmidim, and um, and the Rav Anazir continues in that regard. He settles down in Yerushalayim, and uh, one of his later neighbors in the same building and for several decades, they were neighbors in the same building, literally one apartment, either next to each other or on top of another, was Yubadu Lechaim Reb David Salavechik, the Briskarov's son. And, and that's got to be one of the best uh, neighbor <laughs> relationships to be out there, literally lived apartments next to each other. And they had an interesting relationship. In fact, I heard recently that after the Six-Day War, so the Rav Nazir's Son, like I said, was Rav Sharyashev Koyin, who just passed away recently. Very interesting individual. And his his daughter, he only had a son and a daughter, and his daughter married Rav Shlomo Gorin, who was the chief rabbi of the IDF and later of the State of Israel, also a personality in his own right. And Rav Gorin got his father-in-law some sort of stone or rock from Har Habayis. He brought it to him as a present from the Temple Mount after the Six-Day War. And Rav, the Rav Nazir brings it to show his neighbor, of David Salavechik. Now, you know that the Briskarov, Rav David's father, he wouldn't even come close to the Kaisel when he went to Davin by the Kaisel in his early years in Eretz Yisrael before in 1948, 
he he would be very wary of even coming near the Kaisel because he wasn't sure how close you're allowed to come to Masmeis, and perhaps this is part of Harabayis, and if you get too close, then it's problematic, and therefore he would distance himself from anything Harabayis, because he's not allowed to touch it, because we're all Tmei today. And here the Rav Nazir is showing off his stone from Harabayis to Rav David Salavechik. Rav David Salavechik went running and screaming, it's Tomei Mace, you can't let me touch it, you're not allowed to be in the same room, and how can, it says Kedusha, and and it was pretty wild, and, and the assumption obviously is is that the Rav Nazir did that on purpose, uh, because they knew each other well, and uh, that was definitely an interesting relationship. The next uh, personality I want to talk about is, uh, I'll introduce it with a story, a uh, personal story. I was uh, once having a Shabbos uh, meal by my Rebbe in the Mir Yeshiva, Reb Asher Arieli. And Reb Asher Arieli, so I was asking him about his family background. Um, his grandfather is the subject of the next personality that we're going to discuss, Reb Yitzchak Arieli. Um, was a very close student of Rav Kook. So I was asking Rav Asher, so you were back, you know, Rav Yitzchak Ariely, Rav Asher's grandfather was born in the old city of Yerushalayim. So I asked him if he, if Rav Asher, if he's, if he, you know, he was part of the old Yishuv. He was a Yerushalmi family. He comes from a Yerushalmi family. Originally, they originated from Lita from Lithuania, a couple of generations before that, but they were an old, old, established Yerushalmi family. So, Esther Basher, do you consider yourself a Yerushalmi? This is over the Chalan Shabbos morning. There's a few of us from this year were there with his family. And Abasha starts explaining what does it mean to be Yerushalmi. And of course, they're Yerushalmi. They originated from Lita and they came to Yerushalayim and he was part of that community. So, I said, So, you know, doesn't, you know, you wear. A regular suit and tie, and nice trimmed beard, and you don't have the whole Yerushalmi get-up. So he said, well, I'll explain to you, we were Yerushalmis of the Yishuv HaChadash, of the new Yishuv, which, you know, is, is, is a code word for the Rav Kook part of the Yishuv, not exactly the old Eid uh, HaCharedis part of the Yishuv. So being that it was a combination of the fact that I knew less in those days, and and had, I knew less and had more chutzpah, we'll say it that way. So I said to Rabasher, I said, oh, so you were a modern Yerushalmi? And Rabasher laughs, and he kind of changed the topic, and he probably said some sort of word on the parsha and complimented his wife on how good the chalant was. I think that's how the conversation went after that. And when we left the house, so... A few of the guys who I went with, friends of mine who we went together, one of them was on the more yeshivish side, and he says to me, he flips out. As soon as we left the house, he, he just goes ape at me, and he says, do you realize that you just called Rab Usher modern? And I said, oh, it's kind of, kind of funny, but I don't know if I actually called him modern. And that really brings us to the topic of who was Rabbi Yitzchak Ariely and what was his connection to Rav Cook. So he grows up in the old city and 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 he you know he learns an Chaim like everyone else and he gets actually got smicha from Reb Chaim Berlin the Nitziv's son who lived in Yerushalayim in his in his later years and he became very close with Rav Kook when Rav Kook uh, moved to Yerushalayim and he became one of his 
is chavrusas. They learned chavrusas for many years together. They, they, many years. Uh, basically, like every day. They were mamish. Uh, almost, it was closer almost than anyone else. Um, and he edited also part of some of Rav Kook's farm. And he became the first uh, both mashgiach of Merkaz Arav, and he was the administrative director. In other words, he really built up the place, one of the main uh, movers and shakers in Merkaz Arav for many years. He, in his later years, he had less to do with the yeshiva. There was uh, different disputes and differences of opinion that he had with the uh, other faculty members, we'll call them, in other words, the rabbeim, or uh, administrators of the yeshiva in his later years, in the 1950s and 60s. But... Um, but he was a major part of uh, of uh, of uh, Merkaz Rav, and he sort of stayed there till he died. He would come for major events. He also was very involved in other things that were going on in Yerushalayim. He was a rav of uh, of different neighborhoods in Yerushalayim. He was a paisik. He was the official paisik of the Biker Chaylam Hospital for a for a long time, and he was. Um, and he was—he uh, wrote uh, quite a few svarim. The most famous one was the Einayim Lemishpat, which is a sefer on Shas, a very important sefer on Shas. In fact, when I was in Rabashashir, he would occasionally—not very often, but once in a while—he would quote. He would say the Zayda in the Einayim Lemishpat. My grandfather in the sefer Einayim Lemishpat. I remember that uh, uh, once or twice, maybe a little more. He quoted his grandfather. So he, uh, by the way, Rabash is not the only famous grandson of, of Rabbi Yitzhak Arieli. He has a granddaughter who's on the Israeli Supreme Court. Uh, the Justice Yael Vilner is a granddaughter of, uh, of Rabbi Yitzhak Arieli. He had a very diverse family. He has another great grandson who's a stand-up comedian. By the way, oh, they're all from. They're all, they're all religious. They just took, uh, took religiosity in different ways. He, has a, he had a son-in-law who was a Altamira, Grishka Kahana, an interesting individual who moved to Eretz Yisrael and had a coil in the Moshav Beit Meir outside Yerushalayim, which was also an interesting story, a famous Altamira. So there's a, quite a diverse uh, a diversity in the descendants of Rabbi Tzlikarieli, but he was uh, quite a personality in his own right and a huge Talmud Chacham. By the way, connecting it to... to to Rab David Salavechik that I mentioned in the context of the Ravanazir, Rab David Salavechik is connected uh, sort of to Rab Yitzchak Arieli in the fact that Rab Yitzchak Arieli's son, Rab Chaim Yankiv Arieli, who was Rab Asher's father, of course, um, they, Rab Chaim Yankiv Arieli and Rab David Salavechik married sisters. So they're, they're brothers-in-law, so he's a mechutin over there. So Rab David gets involved in this part of our story as well. The last one I want to mention Obviously, they're not the last one of the circle. It was quite a big circle, a lot of personalities. But the last one who I'd mention in this episode is Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Harlap. And he might be the, one of the most famous uh, of the circle of Rav Kook. Rav Yaakov Moshe Harlap also was born in Yerushalayim and originated from a uh, a, a uh, Litvish Yerushalmi family. In fact, they... They even were part of the more extreme flank of Yerushalmi, old Yishuv life for a period of time. His father was a Dayan in, uh, in the, in the Rishuleib Diskin's Bezdin, which was the more extreme Bezdin. There were two uh, parts of the old Yishuv in Yerushalayim in those days. Rishmul Salant was considered the more moderate, and Rishuleib Diskin 
was the more extreme, which is a story in the old Yishuv, which we'll have to get to another time. Of course, the stories within the old Yishuv and the dynamics between the old Yishuv and the new Yishuv and both of their relationships with the new secular Zionist movement is just a, wow, a long and amazing and fascinating and important story. And I guess we'll have to, we'll have to get to that too. But Rabbi Yaakov Meishacharlap, he grows up in this atmosphere of Yerushalayim, of course, also goes to Eitz Chaim. And he's, in, interestingly, he's close with one of the, uh, the mystics of Yerushalayim, a personality who was also fascinating, Reb Hirsch Michal Shapiro, who was a makubal and a mystic and a tzaddik, and a, he was the old type of mystic, which, which long fasts and, and, and all kinds of other self-mortification and you know long davening by the Cave of Rachel and other places. He would actually walk on foot to Cave of Rachel from Yerushalayim, which isn't that far, but he would do it quite often. And, uh, you know, precious from Ailam Hazah, and, and Rekhom HaShachalab gets very close to them. Rekhom HaShachalab remains a Makubal mystic till the end of his life. But just, Rekhom HaShachalab was such a diverse personality that he is a Makubal. And, and also a Rav, he was the Rav of, the founding Rav of Shari Chesed, one of the older neighbors in Shalim, and later of Rachavia, which is right next to Shari Chesed. He's the, leaves his imprint over there. He becomes the Rosh Hashiva. He replaces Rav Kook as the Rosh Hashiva of Merkaz Harav in, after Rav Kook passes away. And he almost become, almost replaces Rav Kook as the chief rabbi of Eretz Yisrael, but Rav Herzog, uh, achieves, attains that position. He becomes close to Rav Kook through the, the influence of Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank. Already when Rav Kook arrived in Yafo, he already became close with him then, and he remained close with him throughout the remainder um, of his life. So he, he uh, again, a, a, very, um, a very diverse personality, a rabbi, a Rosh Hashiva, a Makubal, uh, wrote many, many sforim, had a very, very interesting, he was a very interesting thinker, a very independent thinker, had very interesting ideas about, uh, about, about Yiddishkeit in modern times, especially in regards to Eretz Yisrael, the Zionist movement. He, but at the same time, again, he's deeply entrenched also in the old Yishuv, and in fact, he had become close with Rav Kook when he arrived in Yafo in 1904, and then Rabbi Yitzchak Yeruchim Diskin, who's known as one of the extremists of Yerushalayim, the right-hand man of Rabbi Chaim Zunnerfeld, and he comes to take over his father, the Rabbi Shuleib Diskin's uh, institutions, especially the Diskin Orphanage. He arrives from Lita in 1908 to Yerushalayim. One of the people who becomes very close with him is Rabbi Yaakov Meshacharlap, and he's able to, we say in Yiddish, ekentansen afbeidechasenes. He dances by both weddings, and he definitely was successful at doing that. And, uh, and he was able to somehow maintain that balance throughout his life. Um, and he uh, dies in 1951 as one of the leading rabbis in Poiskim in, in Yerushalayim and left over a, quite a, 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 his descendants, his family, um, in the rabbinical world in, in Eretzistro. So that's just a few of the... Uh, of the circle of Rav Kook and the Merkaz Harav area at the time. 
This was Yehudi Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and tours and trips across Eretz Yisrael and Europe exploring Jewish history. And uh, subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Don't miss an episode. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites. And I hope you enjoyed.